0: Well, good morning everybody. Are you able to concentrate on this cold morning? Enjoyed the cold week that we've had? Some people amongst us don't feel the cold. I used to be like that. It's wonderful to be able to just come back to God's Word and uh, we're going to be continuing our study in Hebrews today. We've been on this journey for six months now. Can you believe it? Some of you may say, well, maybe we need to stop it. No, but I believe everything that we've been learning is fresh every single week. So even though we're in one book, there's fresh things that God is bringing to us, and I believe that today will be no different. He's going to bring something great to us from what we're going to read today. So over the past six months, as we've gone through this incredible letter, we have been receiving teaching and understanding On who Jesus is and what he's done for us. How he has inaugurated this new covenant for us. Opened the way for us to come right into the presence of God. How he is today seated at God's right hand. And he's making intercession for us and representing us there. And that ultimately one day he's going to appear for a second time. He's going to come back to this earth for a second time. And that he's not coming back to uh, bear sin like he did the first time. But he's coming back to bring salvation to everybody that is eagerly waiting for him. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. Because that's going to be the culmination of everything that God did through the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. His work on the cross for us is going to be culminated and fulfilled that day when He comes. And so we can look forward to that, the day when we will be able to say, we'll be able to stand before the throne of God as we've been singing and say salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. And we'll be able to wave our palm branches as we see in the book of Revelation before the very throne of God, look upon His face, and as we sang, every tear will be wiped away from every eye. So that's what we're living for. Today, as we come to the passage that we're going to look at, the writer shifts his emphasis. He's been teaching us about what God has done through Jesus Christ for us. And today he shifts to beginning to talk about how we need to respond to what Jesus has done. And so this is what we're going to read today. We're going to read this passage, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 31. And we're going to see that in this passage, there is a very strong exhortation. And then there is also a very severe and somber warning. So today's message is going to be a fairly serious, somber message in many ways. And yet at the same time, there's going to be tremendous joy and hope that will come to our hearts through this passage. So let's read it and then we'll get into it. Starting in verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary or the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the fresh and living way that he inaugurated for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, In the assurance that faith brings, because we have had our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. And let us hold unwaveringly to the hope that we confess, for the one who made the promise is trustworthy. And let us take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works. Not abandoning our own meetings, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And even more so because you see the day drawing near. For if we deliberately keep on sinning, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, no further sacrifice for sins is left for us. But only a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume God's enemies. Someone who rejected the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much greater punishment do you think that person deserves who has contempt for the Son of God and profanes the blood of the covenant that made him holy and insults the spirit of grace? For we know the one who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, important news requires a response. If, an, if the news of a death, or maybe the news of, of the fact that your bank wants to close your account or that you have won a prize in some competition that you entered into, or that your relative is coming from overseas to visit you, requires a response. No matter what the news is, important news requires a response. And the more important the news is, the more vital it is that we respond to it. And you know that the gospel is no different to that. It's not enough just to mentally assent to the truths of the gospel. It's not enough for us just to view the gospel as some theory or to think of it as some nice sounding idea that makes us feel good but has no practical implications in our lives. The gospel is the most important news that we will ever receive. And so it requires beyond anything else we will ever hear, a response from us. And this is what this passage that we've just read is all about. That's why it begins with this word, therefore. You see, the writer, in putting that word there, is showing us that he is pointing us to something, to do something, in light of, in view of, all that he has said in the chapters before. He says, therefore... In other words, in the light of everything that I've said, this is what you need to do. He's moving us from the place of just hearing truth to the place of responding to truth. And how important it is that we do this. And so we see in this passage that there are three things that he tells us that we must do in response to all the truths that we've been learning from this letter over the past six months. The first one, and we'll put it up on the board there, the first one is we need to draw near to God. That We see this in verse 22. He says, let us draw near. And obviously in the context he's talking about drawing near to God with a sincere heart in the assurance that faith brings because we have had our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. So the first response that he brings to us is this need for us to draw near to God. The second one is, he tells us to hold on to the hope that we confess. This is in verse 23. He says, let us hold unwaveringly to the hope that we confess, for the one who made the promise is trustworthy. And then third, he says, we need to be diligent and I'm paraphrasing a bit here. Diligent in our ministry to one another. So three responses that he lays out here to the truths that he has been uh, relating to us, teaching us, explaining to us throughout this letter. So this one, we, let's just read it, verses 24 to 25. He says, let us take thought. Notice those two words there, take thought. Some other translations say consider how we may spur one another on to love and good works. Not abandoning our own meetings, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and even more so as we see the day, the day of the Lord, drawing near. So what you'll often also notice is that as he tells us what we should be doing in response to the gospel, you'll see that he also tells us why we need to be doing this. So let's just have a look at this. Why must we draw near to God? Well, if we look at verse 19 through to verse 22, we'll see there. He says, Since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the fresh and living way that he inaugurated for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Do you know that if we are not drawing near to God, we are actually rendering Jesus' work, His sacrifice, all that He did on the cross, fruitless, worthless. Because everything that He came into this earth to do, as He died on that cross and shed His blood, as He rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven, was to do what? It was to open the way back to God for us. It was to cleanse our consciences so that we could stand in God's presence without trying to hide from him. And so this is why we see the writer saying, since Jesus has done this, and since he's representing us at the right hand of God, what should we do? We should draw near to God. And yet how often do we as people not do that? Mark mentioned it when he was just opening up the service. He said, you know, there's times that Taran has to remind him to pray about a situation. It's our natural inclination not to draw near to God. It's our natural inclination to try and work things out in our own strength. We do not naturally move towards God. And oftentimes it takes the most severe circumstances... And even then, only when we've come to the very end of ourselves before we even think about drawing near to God. But this is what the writer says, the whole reason that the Lord Jesus has opened the way to God, the reason that God tore that curtain in the temple from top to bottom was to show us that this is what we're meant to do. We're meant to draw near to Him. And isn't it wonderful when we come and we sing like we have this morning, don't you get a sense... Of relief in your hearts as you draw near to God in worship and in praise. You see, this is what God created us for. He didn't create mankind to live separated from Him. He created us to draw near to Him. To be near to Him. To live our lives out near to Him. Intimately with Him. Alright, so let's not render Jesus' work worthless and fruitless. He then goes on and he says, let us hold unwaveringly to the hope that we confess. Why? Why should we do this? He tells us, for the one who made the promise is trustworthy. What is the hope he's talking about here? Do you have this hope in your heart today? Are you confessing that hope? What is this hope? It's the hope that the gospel gives us. It's the hope of the resurrection of the dead. It's the hope of immortality. It's the hope of eternal life. It's the hope of inheriting the kingdom of God. I mean, we as believers have hope. We have hope that goes beyond this life, that goes beyond the grave, that goes beyond any circumstances that we are facing today. And that's why as believers we can confess this hope. And we should be confessing this hope in the midst of a world that really does not have any hope. What hope do people have? The greatest hope they have is that they can have a good life as long as it lasts. That's really the only hope that people have outside of Jesus Christ. People try to buoy themselves up. They try to, you know, sort of tell themselves and convince themselves that everything's going to be all right. But you know that at the end of it all, there comes a day when death closes in and the grave slams shut and our bodies are put six feet under. That day comes. It comes for every single person. And so unless there is a hope that goes beyond that grave and a hope that goes beyond death, we really do not have any hope. We are hopeless. But isn't it wonderful? This is the hope that Jesus Christ died to give us. And this is the hope that we as believers have. And it's the hope that we as believers should be confessing and holding on to with everything that we have. Why? He tells us, the one who promised is faithful. God is going to fulfill his promise. Isn't that wonderful? The day is going to come when that trumpet sound will blast and there will be the cry of the voice of the Son of God and the dead in Christ will rise. And they will rise never to die again. Never to feel pain again. Never to face mortality again. This is the hope that we have and it is real, it is alive Why do we know that we have this hope? Why do we know that God is able to do this? He raised Jesus from the dead And if He raised Christ from the dead The same Spirit that raised Him shall also give life to our mortal bodies Isn't that wonderful? So this is the hope that we have Let's go on to verse 24 and 25. He says, let us take thought how to spur one another on to love and good works. Why should we do this? Why should we encourage each other? Why should we not give up meeting together? Well, look at verses 26 to 27. He gives us the reason. And this is where we're going to focus in on because this is what he spends the rest of his time talking about. He starts in verse 26. This is the reason. For if we deliberately keep on sinning, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, no further sacrifice for sins is left for us, but only a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume God's enemies. That's pretty severe, isn't it? That's pretty definite, isn't it? Why should we be constantly spurring one another onto love and good works? Why should we be devoted to meeting together with one another? Why should we be encouraging one another? It's to ensure that this doesn't happen to any single one of us. So let's just have a look at these, particularly verse 26, because a lot of questions arise in people's minds when they read this verse and i want to just break it down for you so that you can understand what the writer is actually saying here look at verse 26 does it mean when he says here if we deliberately keep on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth no further sacrifice for sins is left does it mean that he is saying that anyone who commits a sin after receiving the knowledge of truth of the truth is lost forever Do you think that's what it means? Well, just notice I want to point you here to these three words. Deliberately keep on. Deliberately keep on. And what happened, what these words are pointing to, is they're pointing to the fact that he's not here talking about an isolated sinful act, but he's talking about a predetermined course of action taken by someone who has never. Rarely repented. That's what he's talking about. Deliberately keep on sinning. Notice the word that he uses also in this verse. He uses the words we. He says if we deliberately keep on sinning. You see while these words that we're reading here are true. Of people that have heard the gospel and never responded to it. They also can be true of us or of people that come and sit in the pews of a church Sunday after Sunday, week after week, month after month, year after year, hearing the truth but never responding to it. Hearing the gospel, hearing the word of God but never allowing it to impact their life. Never allowing it to take effect and change them and cause them To align themselves with the will of God. And so the writer here is specifically talking about people that come to church. People that sit in pews. That receive the full knowledge of the truth. And yet never respond to it. And it's with this danger in his mind that he tells us. As believers, we have a responsibility towards one another to ensure that this doesn't happen. Do you know that in this letter, this is not the first time that he's actually brought this exhortation to us. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 to 14, you can go up there look at this. He says, this is quite a number of chapters back. He said, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, none of you in the church has an evil, unbelieving heart that forsakes the living God. But exhort one another each day. This is something we've got to be doing daily, he says. As long as it's called today, that none of you may become hardened by sin's deception. For we have become partners with Christ, if in fact we hold our initial confidence Firm until the end. Do you know that he's going to actually bring this exhortation a third time in this letter later on? Three times in this letter, he's going to tell us the same thing. And you know, when God speaks three times about anything, he is putting great emphasis on it. It's something that he's saying, do not ignore. And why would he be putting such emphasis on this need for us to? be constantly ministering to one another, it's because there is a real danger that there might be people amongst us. There might be members of Harvest that fall into this category, that come and sit in the pews, hear the Word of God, nod their heads, agree with what's said, and yet never act on it, never respond to it. And look at what he says here. We've we've seen, if we look up there, we'll see that there are two categories of people that can be found in the church. And we do not want anyone of us to fall into any one of these categories. He says there can be those who have an evil, unbelieving heart that eventually forsake the living God. And then there are those whose hearts gradually over time become hardened. So let's just talk about this a little bit. The former, the former type of person, they're the ones that come into church and they masquerade as believers for a time. When, in actual fact, in their hearts, they've never turned towards God. They come to church, they go through the motions, they can put on the display, they can say the right words, they can sing the songs, but in their heart, they have never turned. Towards God, Their heart has always been away from Him, never wanted to move towards Him. And eventually it will manifest, eventually it will be seen. The second group are those who come and they may sincerely try to serve the Lord and even do so for a, a season of time. But then things begin to happen, something happens. And it causes their hearts to grow hard towards God and towards the church. They fall away and you never see them again. They never return. They may become offended. It might be something that the preacher says. It might be something that the Word of God says. It might be some persecution or some stigma that they begin to feel in their family or at work. Because of the name of Jesus. It might be a relationship with somebody in the church that turns sour. They butt heads with somebody. And so they say, I'm out of here. And they disappear. They leave. And not only do they leave the church, but they abandon the faith. It might be, and this is so common, probably one of the most common things, is they might see hypocrisy. In the church they might see people that stand up here and worship the Lord but another day they see them doing something swearing out of their window and shaking their fist and they begin to say you know what these people are not for real these people in the church are just they're just pretenders they're hypocrites and they don't want to be a part of that and so they forsake the church But not only do they forsake the church, they forsake the God that the church worships and the faith that the church holds. And they depart. They fall away from the living God. It might be an unfulfilled expectation that they have of God. And you know, I have seen this over the years. I've seen people that at one time were serving in the church, seemed so committed to God And yet I've heard later on words come out of their mouths where they say, you know, God has done nothing for me in all my life. He's never done anything for me. And I remember there was one such person and I remember saying to Gail, you know, she has never understood the gospel. She's been in church for years and years and years and years, yet she has never understood the gospel. Because no one who's understood the gospel could ever say, God has never done anything for me. It's impossible. You see, even if our world is falling apart, even if everything has been absolutely destroyed, we can still stand there and say, Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that I have. Isn't that true? So people have these expectations of God. The expectation of maybe a better life. Maybe it's the expectation that they've been given falsely. That if they turn to Jesus, they'll never get sick again. If they turn to Jesus, they'll have prosperity and everything will go well for them. Because someone preached that to them at one time. And then when it doesn't, they say this God is not real. This gospel is not real. This is just fake and phony. And they turn away. It could be a tragedy that happens. Something that breaks their heart. Something that they find so difficult to deal with. That they can't understand. And they turn and they blame God. And they they begin to have bitterness in their hearts towards God because of what happened. And as a result, their hearts become hardened. And they turn away from God. And no longer serve Him. I've seen this happening to people all through my life. I've seen it happen. And it breaks my heart to see this happen to people. And so this is why this warning is coming today. This is why God wants us as as a church to be absolutely committed to helping one another. Serving one another. Ministering to one another. Another reason why this can happen is because the matters of this life might become more important to us than the matters of God. You know, people sometimes become bored of church. Have you ever become bored of church? You know, it's like we we want an adrenaline rush every week that we come to church. We want something that's going to just flick that switch, you know. And after a while, we sort of become a little bit inebriated to the truth. and Not inebriated, inoculated, sorry. (laughs) A little bit inoculated to the truth. And it no longer touches our hearts the way it used to. The gospel no longer thrills us the way it used to. We become so familiar with the message, it becomes old hat to us. We begin to grow cold. We begin to lose that fervency. And the things of the world just seem a little bit more exciting. You know, going fishing on a Sunday, going biking, climbing a mountain, just seems to give us a little bit more enjoyment than sitting and listening to Ian and Trevor. And so, what do we do? We leave, and our attendance at church begins to diminish. We stop reading the Bible because, you know, we're... I mean, after all, I've already read through the whole Bible twice in my life. So we stop reading it. We stop praying because, you know, we've, I've prayed a lot in my life. And we begin to become complacent and apathetic. And slowly over time, our hearts begin to harden. Sins begin to creep in. We begin, begin to compromise with the world. And if we're not careful we can find ourselves eventually falling away completely. And so this is the reason why the writer here is bringing this exhortation and this challenge to us today. And there's a very good reason, and we've already seen it, but let's just look at verses 28 to 29, and we'll see why it's so important that we hear this challenge. He says in verse 28, Someone who rejected the law of Moses was put to death on the mercy of, of, two, of the testimony of two or three witnesses. And then here are these four or three great words. How much greater punishment do you think that person deserves who has contempt for the Son of God, profanes the blood of the covenant that made him holy, and insults the spirit of grace? Do you know that it's worse To reject the new covenant than to reject the old. That's what he's saying here. There is worse punishment for people that reject the new covenant than for those that rejected the old. Anybody who does this, he says here, become guilty of three terrible sins. Number one, treating the Son of God with contempt. I don't know about you, but I don't want to fall into that camp. I don't want to stand before the Lord on that day when He's seated on the judgment seat, having shown Him contempt in my life. The second one is He profanes the blood of the covenant. That just simply means He makes the blood of Jesus just like the blood of anything else. He makes the death of Jesus and treats it just as if it was the death of any other person. No difference the death of Jesus. No different to the death of the thieves that died on either side of him. He profanes the blood that was shed for his sanctification. And thirdly, he insults the spirit of grace. These are the three sins. Insults the spirit of grace. I want to ask you a question today. How would you feel if because of your love for somebody, you stored up a huge sum of money, sacrificing greatly to buy a gift for that person that you love, and yet when you present it to them, there's no thanks, they don't want it, They reject it, they despise it, and they go and sell it to somebody else. How would that make you feel? That's exactly what he's talking about here when he says we insult the spirit of grace. When we reject what Jesus Christ has done for us, when we reject that sacrifice that he's made, when we don't respond to it, When we're apathetic towards it, we're insulting the spirit of grace. I know that this is a sobering warning today, and and I, I warned you that it would be a sobering warning. Yet we need to understand the reason why God gives it. And this is what I want to finish up with today. Why does God put such passages in Scripture? Why did He bother? Why does He bother to speak to us? Why does He bother to warn us? Why does He call us near? Why does He correct us? Do you know why? It's because He loves us. The Bible says that those that God loves, He corrects, He rebukes, and He disciplines. And there's times in in all of our lives when we need to have a wake-up call. And maybe this is the day that God has chosen to... Bring you a wake-up call. Bring me a wake-up call. I've had it many times in my life. There's been times in my life where I found my heart was just becoming a bit hardened, a bit casual, a bit apathetic towards the things of God. There's times when I've drifted along. There's times when I've begun to drift away from what God had called me to be. And the Lord has had to come and arrest me, bring me back, wake me up, shake me. And you know, he's used people to do that. More often than not, it's people, fellow members of the body of Christ, my wife, that have come in and said something to me that just brought me back. Brought me back to my senses. And I pray today that if you're in this place, where maybe you are, in your heart, and each and every one of us knows the state of our heart, we know where we are. The Word of God is making it known to us today. If in your heart you know you're not where you need to be with God today, I pray that these words would cause you to move from where you are to where God is wanting you to be. The reason this warning comes is because God loves us. And it's never been His will, it's never been His intention for any one of us to perish. He wants us to come to repentance. And this is why. He sent His Son. The sending of Jesus, the giving of Christ, is the greatest demonstration of love that God could ever show any human being. And every time you doubt the love of God, just look to Jesus hanging on that cross. And remind yourself that that's how much He actually cares and loves God is not pushing you away from Him today. This warning was not given so that you would turn away from Him and walk away from Him. This warning was given so you would draw near to Him, so that you would come to Him. If there's sin in your life, if your conscience is not clear before God, if there's guilt and there's shame, you can come before Him and you can confess your sins and He will faithfully forgive you And cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The door is open. The way is open. And Jesus Christ is seated at God's right hand. Making intercession for you. He's representing you. And when you come to God in this way. The blood that he shed will speak mercy over you. There is forgiveness for every sin. And there is a welcome and a reception in the heart of God that is waiting for every one of us. And so it's, this is why we can draw near to Him. This is why we can have a conscience that is cleansed. This is why we can stand before God without shame, without guilt. We can have peace with Him. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so God through everything that He's done, the giving of His Son, the giving us of His Word, the sending us of this message today, the whole reason is to bring us back to Him. He's longing for us, like that father that waits for a prodigal son. He's longing for each and every one of us. Let me just close by just asking a few questions today. Because I believe it's very important For each of us to take stock of where we are in our walk with God. What is the true state of your heart before God today? Is it in a backslidden state? Be honest with yourself. Are you in danger of apostasy? Are you in danger of walking away from God? What is really going on in your heart today? These are questions I ask myself as well. Maybe today you're here in this place and you've never responded to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've never turned to God. You've never acknowledged your sins to Him. You've never asked Him to forgive you and to save you from them. And you've never publicly confessed Jesus as your God and Savior, and joined yourself to Him and become one of His followers. And you know in your heart you've never done that. Might have been in church many times, might have heard the message of the gospel many times, but you know you've never actually responded to it in any definite way. Today, I want to give you that opportunity to do that very thing. Let none of us in this gathering today be amongst those who hear, who receive the knowledge of the truth and yet never allow it to change our hearts and our lives before God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, today we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you, Lord, that it is your word to each and every one of our hearts. And Lord, I know that there are people here today that this word has spoken deeply to. I know that there may be some, Lord, who are even resisting these words. That in their hearts are sort of pushing them away. Not wanting to respond. I pray for each and every one of us here today. Lord, I pray that not one person today would walk away from this building. Without having made their hearts right before you. In whatever way they need to. And so I ask you Lord today to help us to do this very thing. Young and old, man and woman, I pray this in Jesus' name. I'm going to be here at the end of the service, and any one of you that wants to come up and talk about anything to do with this message, please don't leave without doing it. Come up and see us. I'm sure there will be some of the elders here as well, Tony and Mark and Ian as well. We want to help you. We want to help every one of us, everyone that's a part of this church, to be right with God, to have an absolutely clear conscience, to have absolute peace with Him. We don't want anyone coming to church with this facade on the outside, and yet on the inside, things are not what they should, they should be. So I pray today, may the Lord help you, help each of us to draw near to Him. God bless. You want to say something, Ian? God bless for the rest of you that don't want to come up, don't need to come up. There's coffee and tea there. And uh, I'm just so thankful for every single one of you. God bless.